Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, folk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast Tonight on this live show, we got to talk about Ohio State and Michigan. And yet again, we have two 11-0 teams playing for Big Ten East supremacy and likely Big Ten title supremacy. We got to talk about Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas. What is going on in the Big 12 and how is that shaping up for championship Saturday? And we got to get into these college football playoff selection committee rankings. Shout out to Liberty, who got in there at number 25. But the place where we are going to start and where I'm probably going to spend the most of my time is with the committee's move to make Washington the number four team in the country, moving Florida State to number five. Now, first things first, Washington has the resume to be here. They have the players to be here. They pass the eye test. They are in the driver's seat to win the Pac-12 championship. As a matter of fact, if we did not have a Pac-12 championship game, they would be playing for the regular season championship against Washington State in the Apple Cup this weekend. But we do have a Pac-12 championship game, which means that number six, Oregon, also figures into the math in how we are going to get to our final four come December 3rd. But I need to say, the move to make Washington the number four team in the country is one that the selection committee could have made for the past Two weeks, there was lots of data to show Washington had a better strength of record. Washington was playing in a deeper conference, and Washington was a better football team. But they made this move to dock Florida State after Florida State beat North Alabama, and Jordan Travis went down with a season-ending, career-ending injury. It's just a bad look. It's, it's just a terrible look. And I got a problem with it because now I can't take you seriously once again. You have had data to show Washington is a better football team by all the metrics that we use to give analysis of these football teams. But no, you decided to dock Florida State, knowing that they have Florida on the schedule this weekend with Tate Roadmaker starting at quarterback. Now, the line has moved quite a bit, and we'll get into some of that. But I need to say, this feels a lot like Sean McGuire at Florida State when Jameis Winston wasn't playing or even Jacob Coker to that degree. But Tate Roadmaker is a great quarterback. He's redshirt junior who was playing outstanding football at high school, a 3,500-yard passer before getting to Florida State. And there's clearly a reason as to why Jordan Travis was the number one. But I think Florida State's got an argument with anybody. They are undefeated. They beat Louisville in an ACC title game. We have never seen an undefeated Power 5 champion be left out of this thing called the college football playoff. And Florida State would not be the first team to even win a national championship with its second string quarterback starting the national championship game. 2014, Ohio State would like to give you a phone call. We have seen this side of play before. We've seen guys come off the bench, right? We're talking about really an outstanding football team in the ACC that might not make it on the strength of what their quarterback was or was not doing. Now, 
That said, you still got to take care of business. You have to beat your hated rival in Florida, who I still can't pin down, but I need to say Florida beat Tennessee in the swamp. And until last week, this committee thought Tennessee was one of the 18 best teams in the country, right? We're also talking about a Florida team that pushed Missouri to the limit in Columbia, the same Missouri that looked like it had just run out of time to beat the number one team in the sport and a team that ain't lost a football game since 2020 in Georgia with the backup quarterback, I might add, at Florida on the road. So it's not as if Florida State's going to be playing against chumps. They're going to be playing against what I think is a decent to average football team, especially in the SEC. Had Florida been in another conference, they might be an eight-win, nine-win team, and we might be thinking about them the way we think about Oklahoma or Oregon State. But it is what it is right now. So the landscape is still stay on the bull, ride it for the full eight seconds, and then let's argue about it on Sunday. So if you are Washington and if you are Florida State, go win your football games this weekend and win your conference championship and see who blinks first. Because I guarantee you, we're going to see somebody blink and perhaps not in the way that we expect. But if things stay the way that they are, I would be absolutely shocked. It could happen. It could go chalk the whole way. But that's not why we love this sport, is it? Especially going into this rivalry week. Now, there's a college football playoff scenario at play here. There's actually several, but there are a couple that I actually want to give my time to because we could be here quite honestly doing a three-hour live show if I wanted to go through every single scenario that we could see. But there are a couple that I think are interesting. Let's say Michigan or Ohio State, Florida State, and Washington finish undefeated with a Big Ten title. Okay. Alabama and Texas finished 12-1 and with an SEC and Big 12 title, respectively. I'd expect the Big Ten champ to get in, as that's one of the three best teams in college football. I would expect Washington to get in. I would expect Alabama to get in because they would have beaten a number one ranked Georgia team that has operated at a level that we have not seen in this era of college football. And I would expect Georgia to get in there because we all believe that Georgia is one of the four best teams in college football. The only way that that gets upended is if somehow the Yellow Jackets pull one out this weekend. And I just don't see that. As a matter of fact, during our show meeting, uh, producer Tyler had the really great gag or, or was a producer cat. One of my producers had the great gag that Kirby Smart's nice thing to say about Georgia Tech was, well, they're, they're close by. <laughs> and that's about where it's been in that rivalry in recent years. I don't even think Calvin Johnson being on that team of Georgia Tech is going to change the outcome of it. But that's just to show just how solid Georgia is going into this rivalry week and going into the SEC championship game. I think Alabama will really have to beat them the way that they beat Texas Christian for that to really change our minds. And I just don't see that as happening. I think those are the four best teams, too. Right. So you're also talking about not just the criteria for which I want this committee to stick to and for which I believe in, but pulling the four best teams out of your behind is really kind of a bad look because Liberty's undefeated. But ain't nobody here going to say it's one of the four best teams in college football, even if they do beat a New Mexico State that absolutely made Auburn put money in the bag. We're going to get back to that, too. Another scenario that I want to talk about, which I think is even more interesting, let's assume Texas's win against Alabama on the road in September is impressive, but not as impressive as, say, Alabama beating Georgia in the SEC championship game. Okay, well, that's that might bode well, though, for Texas getting in the college football playoff as a one-loss team. If Ohio State-Michigan is tight, say it's a one-score game and not the 22-point difference that it was last year, I think the winner blows out Iowa. Let's say they do. You could see Ohio State-Michigan 
being considered two of the four best teams in the country for a second year in a row. And I would have a hard time with this. Alabama beating Georgia, Washington losing to Wazoo or in the Pac-12 title game, and Texas losing in the Big 12 title game, and Florida State losing to either Florida or Louisville. I think in with that sort of a scenario, you end up with Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, and Georgia as your college football playoff teams. This is not the kind of outcome for which we thought the college football playoff was going to give us, right? We all thought that perhaps we're going to see four undefeated teams from four different conferences and maybe one one-loss team that gets left out. It's not really gone that way most of the time. But I also believe every college football fan in America would show up to watch Ohio State, Michigan again, Alabama, Georgia again, or even an SEC versus Big Ten showdown because that's what the sport has become. It has become two super conferences, the Big Ten and the SEC, right? Texas, Oklahoma going to the SEC next year and then felt like half the Pac-12 going to the Big Ten next year, but in particular, Washington and Oregon. To say nothing of, I would love to see Texas play Alabama again and see how that game goes. And I would love to see Georgia play Ohio State again, see how that game goes. So I think this committee is thinking like I am, which is to say, don't give us a reason to put Ohio State and Michigan back in this thing and Alabama and Georgia back in this thing because we know, A, we would like to see it, and B, the championship game is probably going to be more competitive than Georgia versus Texas Christian, right? I think those two scenarios are the ones for which I'm watching closely to see if we get closer or further away from those things as we approach this uh, this rivalry weekend, excuse me, ahead of championship weekend. But wouldn't it be damn, damn fine if we got Ohio State, Michigan, and Alabama, Georgia in a college football playoff from a neutral's perspective? I would be here for it. But let's talk about the big game, the monster game of the entire regular season. That is number two, Ohio State at number three, Michigan. Both teams showing up 11 and 0, Big Fox, noon Eastern, the game. I'm so excited. I'm so excited because A, I didn't think we were going to be able to see this once again. We got this last year and we were spoiled by it, I think, because two 11 and 0 teams that were good one blows out the other and yet that one team still gets in that's how much we think of ohio state and michigan that's what they mean to the sport the other thing about this is we could not ask for more storylines going into ohio state michigan for somebody that's got my job getting to sit behind a microphone and pontificate about this sport i love this is manna from heaven because i'm looking at a jim harbaugh who was asked straight up and down hey what would you say the respect level is for uh your colleagues over at Ohio State. And that man did everything but acknowledge that they got a coaching staff at Ohio State in his response. It's also a man who was forced to answer questions as the head coach at the University of Michigan, knowing damn well he's not going to be on the sideline in Ann Arbor for the game, which means he not only missed the thousandth win for Michigan dating back to 1897, he's likely to miss perhaps just the third or se- the second time in 25 years for which Michigan has beaten Ohio State in three consecutive years. On top of all of this, we got to talk about why Jim Harbaugh is not going to be on the sideline for the game. And that goes back to the sign-stealing scandal for which Michigan has finally taken ownership of what Connor Stallions did and how Others were orchestrated and part of this scheme to steal opposing team signs. And that is why Jim Harbaugh was hit with the three-game suspension that is going to see him through the end of this game, but perhaps get him back for any postseason competition they're going to have, including the Big Ten championship game. 
I think most Ohio State fans would love to see Jim Harbaugh on that sideline because they don't want no asterisk next to what they think is going to be a win. But I would be remiss if I did not say Michigan is favored to win this game. The line is three and a half to Michigan and then 45 and a half as the over under. It's been 1,456 days since Ohio State last beat Michigan. And we're talking about Justin Fields coming off the bench for chugging off, rolling to his left on a bad knee to go and get that win in 2019. It's been that long. I also need to add in here that the Michigan team that tripled up Ohio State, 95, 96, 97, that group of players, went on to, as you know, win a share of the national championship. And this team, this 2023 edition of Michigan, is a better scoring team and almost as good a scoring defense. They are really outstanding, giving up just 9.3 points per game this season. You're not really scoring on that defense, even if we're going to get into how the offense has not necessarily been the kind of offense they had last year. But the last year's win also, 45 to 23 for Michigan, was the largest margin of victory for Michigan in Columbus since 1978 and the largest margin of victory for Michigan since 1993, period. Like, they were absolutely on one, and that was a game for which Ohio State expected to get one back because they felt like they got embarrassed and run on in a cold, dreary day for which Aiden Hutchinson showed up and made himself a Heisman finalist and then got dealt with without Blake Corum on the football field. That's just a terrible look if you are Jim Knowles' defense, and it feels like they took it personally. It feels like this defense has been built primarily to stop whatever mission is going to do on Saturday. It is a defense that does not give up big plays, the kind of which Donovan Edwards was doing the damn thing, Cornelius Johnson was doing the damn thing, Roman Wilson is capable of. We're talking about a defense that has not given up an explosive play or 40 yards of more or more all year. We're talking about a defense that has allowed one opponent to score 17 and nobody else to score anywhere near it. We're talking about a defense that tackles. We're talking about a defense that turns you over. They fly to the football. They are going to tackle what's in front of them, and you're not going to get over the top of them. If you are Ohio State, you're looking forward to this game because your safeties get to play downhill because you know a Jim Harbaugh coach football team wants to run the football. So if you force J.J. McCarthy to throw it, and he ain't looked great the last couple of years, you, or a couple of weeks, excuse me, you wouldn't feel pretty good about your chances of stopping Michigan's offensive attack. It's also a rivalry that just gets into your bones. It dates back to 1897, and they had played this game 104 out of the last 105 years. The one year they did not play this game is the COVID year, 2020. Michigan had to pull out of the game, and I genuinely believe that that game not being played is the best possible thing that ever happened to Michigan football. The reason I say that is Jim Harbaugh went two and four in 2020. Had they played the game, Ohio State was ready. They were coming in flying, and they wanted every piece of Michigan. They wanted to play this game in the worst way. They end up winning the Big Ten championship. Then you get to look around. Jim Harbaugh is made to eat an, ex an incentive-laden contract that was kind of humiliating on its face. He's interviewing for jobs with, say, the Minnesota Vikings and not getting them. There's lots of conversation about whether or not this is the guy to lead the program simply because he can't beat Ohio State. And now 
they had lost twice as many games as they played, even in such a short span of time. Then you get the run. You get a team that has lost just three games in the last three years and won 36. You're getting two years of some of the best Michigan football we have ever seen. Had that game been played and had Ohio State won it, I'm not sure we're even talking about Jim Harbaugh being the head coach at Michigan and one of the sainted men at Michigan getting to operate as he does, as he pleases, and really getting a program to run in the same direction. Like I say this often, but I think it bears repeating. The way that those players and those coaches want to fight for him is uncommon. We can think what we want about how just kind of weird Jim Harbaugh can seem out here with the Ted Lasso quotes, but also the Yellowstone quotes, taking his time, really giving you what I think is an unorthodox answer. But when it comes time to actually go block and tackle, they want to go for him. You heard Sharon Moore be very emotional in acting head coach, getting that win against Penn State, being just a little bit laid back in the win against Maryland, but you could see the emotion was still there. The offensive line is taking the suspension personally, so it has the running back room, and those are the two things you really need to get after if you're going to go beat Ohio State. You need to be able to run the ball on them, and you need to show a Blake Corum and a Donovan Edwards that we haven't seen a whole lot of so far this year. And the reason I say that is we're talking about Blake Corum being ho-hum. And that is a man who's rushed for 20 touchdowns this year. He leads the FBS. We're also talking about a Donovan Edwards that hasn't quite shown us the kind of explosion that he could show even in 2021, let alone 2022. We're talking about an offensive line that is being questioned by Go Blue because we went into this going, they got seven guys that are going to probably be drafted in next year's NFL draft on that offensive line. They have packages where they get all seven offensive linemen on the line of scrimmage and try to bully you. And yet and still, I've got some folks that believe we haven't seen their best football yet. We haven't seen Blake Corum's best football yet. Now is the time. And Blake, I think, is fired up for this precisely because he got all of two touches in this game before blowing out his knee and probably had the Heisman within his grasp had he had the game that Donovan Edwards had. He's come back. He said, not for the individual accolades, but to win championships. I think that last year they were really hindered by not having him against Texas Christian, let alone the Big Ten title game. They're going to get him for this game. Oh, He's going to show up healthy. He's going to show up fresh. He hadn't been touching the ball as often as he might because they've been blowing people out up until the last couple of weeks. Again, I got to go back to what Jim Harbaugh has done. It's not just 36-3 and and developing Blake Corum. It's two Big Ten titles. It's two wins against Ohio State. It's two trips to the college football playoff. And my favorite, a defensive Heisman finalist, which in and of itself is like winning the Heisman Trophy for me because I don't think Heisman voters acknowledge that defense even gets played in this sport that I love. And even on top of that, we got even more storylines. I would point you to a story by my friend Michael Cohen, who also covers the Big Ten really well for us at Fox Sports. He wrote a feature about Kyle McCord and J.J. McCarthy that I encourage you to go read and look up. But there's one anecdote that I really love in this that really kind of solidifies where we're at. Kyle McCord's dream school was Michigan. J.J. McCarthy's dream school was Ohio State. They show up at Elite 11 expecting, you know, 
to be recruited and or committed to one of those two places, except it went the other way. But as these things happen at the opening at Elite 11, families meet, they bond. Hey, you got an outstanding quarterback that I got to travel all over the country with. You get to know the same people. It's kind of like being on a travel ball team. And they come to find out, oh, man, um, we got all this Ohio State gear when JJ has committed to Michigan. We got all this Michigan gear when Kyle is committed to Ohio State. And the moms got together and mailed each other the gear. We're going to get into more of this on our live tailgate this Saturday. Well, I'll be joined by Michigan running back Chris Howard and Buckeyes running back Beanie Wells talking about this rivalry and how these relationships develop. It also reminds me just what it means for high school football players to be able to commit to places like Ohio State and Michigan. My favorite story being Chris Spielman, who grew up an Ohio State fan, whose father was a rabid Ohio State fan, who wanted and did took a visit to Michigan, told his daddy, I think I want to go to Michigan. And his daddy said, uh-uh, no, no, I've had enough. You're going down the road to Ohio State, you traitor. I've, <laughs> I've had enough of this. I let you have your experience. Now you're going to go be a Buckeye because that's what this rivalry means for them, right? We make jokes about John Kerry rooting for Michigan and Michigan and rooting for Ohio and Ohio State. <laughs> and yet and still, here we are with even more to fill this rivalry with. I'd also add on the field, it's going to be outstanding. Like, I, I am excited. I get to see JT Tuimolau, Mike Hall. I get to see Jack Sawyer going up against this really great offensive line at Michigan. And I'm, I'm asking myself, not just if Michigan has what it takes to get the 3 P in Ann Arbor, or if Ryan Day can get this much-needed win against Michigan, but what does this mean for Sharon Moore? I mean— the Broyles Award semifinalists came out earlier this week, and you should know that I'm a voter and I take it very seriously because I believe that that award is really important to acknowledging the rising stars in our sports. And the guys that win it usually go on to be outstanding head coaches in one way or another. And Sharon and defense coordinator Jim Knowles are semifinalists, but Sharon Moore is going to be the acting head coach for the third game. He's basically doing the job, okay? And Jim Harbaugh has said Sharon probably has the best chance of being a power five head coach. I mean, he's probably got four guys on that staff that could be head coaches next year, right? To say nothing of just what kind of offensive line coach Sharon has been with those Joe Moore award-winning lines. But I don't think that Sharon Moore's going to coach a bigger game in his life. He might never coach a bigger game in his life than this one this weekend because of the 11 and 0, because of number two versus the number three, because it's not just a chance to play for a big 10 title, but a de facto play-in game for the college football playoff because as much as I love Iowa football, I know some people got their own feelings about it. We expect the Big Ten East champ to show up and take that championship once again. And the winner of this game has won the last six Big Ten championships. It's really been about Ohio State and Michigan, even as we have divisions. And the th divisions, thankfully, are going away, which means that Penn State might actually have a road into the Big Ten championship for the first time in some years. But once again, I just I'm overwhelmed by what this could mean for so many guys uh, that play on both sides and so many guys that coach on both sides. Like Jim Knowles could walk into a head coaching job after this. Brian Hartline could walk into a head coaching job after this. This is a game that you don't put on your resume because everybody saw it. You're evaluated on this game. That's going to be true for Kyle McCord and J.J. McCarthy as well. I'm really interested to see if J.J. McCarthy summons the kind of performance that we know him capable of. Because 
if this is on his arm to go win, I don't feel good about that. I don't feel good about that because it was on his arm to go win against Texas Christian. And he threw the other team the ball, right? I don't trust it because they didn't really let him throw the ball against Penn State. And when he did get to throw the ball against Maryland, he didn't look great. Now, granted, Roman Wilson went out in that game, right, with what we think is a concussion. While he's day-to-day, concussions and, and the test you got to pass, he might not be able to go, right? But Tyler Moore needs to be a guy for him. Cornelius Johnson needs to emerge. He needs to continue to hit Colston Loveland. And more importantly, he needs the run game to do what it does. I understand that Blake Corman is getting 87 a game. That ain't enough. That ain't enough. You're going to need to go for 125, 130, because the team that outrushes the other team in this game wins it. As a matter of fact, you check the results. The team that has rushed for more yards has won this game every year dating back to 2000. That's how important running the football is against both Ohio State and Michigan. And Kyle McCord, while he has Marvin Harrison Jr., who I think is the best college football player in America, and they got a rapport that goes back to St. Joe's Prep in Philly, he's also got a guy that is being slept on uh, nationally in Travion Henderson. Travion Henderson is averaging 125.5 yards from scrimmage per game, and he's only gotten stronger since becoming the feature back. It seemed like Mayan Williams going out with the injury, which hurt that running back room and hurt Ohio State, has been pretty good for him because he's getting touches. And I asked Beanie Wells about this. I said, do you change your mentality a little bit when you know it's not running back by committee, when you know you're the guy? And this is a dude who also played in the game when both teams were 11 and 0 behind Antonio Pittman. And he said, yeah, you prepare differently. Your mentality is different. You are really gearing up to carry the load for your team. And some guys really do rise to the level of that occasion, right? I think Maurice Corrette is another great example of this at Ohio State. Ezekiel Elliott, J.K. Dobbins. I think Travion Henderson can really put himself in that group because it's a guy who we all know has ability. We all know that he can be a Heisman caliber tailback, but we haven't seen that because he's been injured at times. And frankly, he's been hit and miss. But boy, when he hits, he goes all the way. Just ask Notre Dame. He hit him one time and that was enough. And that's probably the reason why I'm going to take Travion Henderson over a Blake Corum in this game because I think Trey can hit you for a home run and nobody's going to need a home run more than Ohio State. If they get a two-score lead, that's going to be really difficult for Michigan to overcome because that's a team that absolutely needs to stay on schedule. They need to score on every possession they have and they need to get six more often than they get three. I think that knowing you have Travion Henderson behind you, knowing you got Marvin Harrison Jr. out there and Emeka Ibuka and Cade Stover, you got to feel good if you're Kyle McCord. Now, neither one of these guys, I think, is going to play in a bigger game than this one. JJ got to play in it last year, but again, man, you played in it, you won it, you won a Big Ten championship game, but is this the one where you actually get to separate? Because it's one thing to beat Ohio State as the starting quarterback. It's another to beat them twice. Like, we're talking about C.J. Stroud, a player I love, right? A guy that I love, who might end up winning NFL MVP. Certainly is going to win NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year who didn't beat Ohio State. And that is the thing people say. When Terrell Pryor was being vilified, he would say, I beat Michigan, right? I, I just, my goodness, if you are the dude that can go do that, yeah, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't pay for drinks in Ann Arbor and everybody knows your name forever because this game means that much to so many people. 
Which leads to what I think is going to be the X factor of the game. I kind of touched on it, but I think we need to really hammer home. The defenses in this game are going to be instrumental. They are the second, or excuse me, the first and second best scoring defenses in college football. I don't know when we could last say that about Ohio State and Michigan. It's been that long. Because both of those defenses operating at the level that they are operating now at this moment in the season Really tough to put your finger on, and I need to outline it because Michigan defense is allowing just nine a game, and Ohio State's averaging 9.3 a game. Who's going to blink first, right? I mean, we're talking about a game that could end up a lot like we saw Ohio State versus Notre Dame early in the year, just low scoring, where who's going to flinch, and then it comes down to a goal line stand or a goal line get, and which which head coach, acting head coach, is going to make the best decision? Who's going to make the right decision? One of the things that we talk about so many times in these games are what did your coaches do? James Franklin, who doesn't necessarily make the best in coaching decisions, according to Penn State fans, that might be his Achilles heel. Meanwhile, last year, Ohio State damn near beat Florida. I mean, Florida, excuse me, uh, damn near beat Georgia. And the reason they didn't is because Kirby Smart saw a trick play in the offing, call timeout. Which one of these head coaches can do that? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's right there. And I hope that Ryan Day has been able to act on the lessons that he said he learned from last year, which is around this time of year, he was getting stretched too thin. He was not really able to focus on being both head coach and the play caller that he needed to be. And he needed to spread that around a little bit so they could be better suited for the game itself. Understanding that his legacy as head coach at Ohio State is around this game. One of the things that really just galls me to no end, but I don't get to argue with because I'm accepting the sport as it is and not as I want it to be, is that Ryan Day could win more than 50 games, lose just six, and people continue to say, I don't know, dog. He ain't been able to beat Michigan. He might not be the guy. I Again, I asked Beanie Wells about this. I said, do you think Ryan Day's job is in jeopardy if he loses this game? And he didn't quite know, which tells me everything. You know, because me, as an Oklahoma fan, cool, you lost to Texas. It happens. You lost to Texas three times in a row. It happens. Did we win 11 games? Did we win 12? Does it feel good to beat Texas? you damn right it feels good to beat Texas. I love beating Texas. I probably love beating Texas more than Ohio State fans love beating Michigan, if I'm being quite honest about it. But I'm not going to turn around and say I need a new head coach because we only won 11 games and we didn't beat our rival. Meanwhile, there's one game played each season in the state of Ohio, and it's this one. And that sucks, but that's also what Ryan Day has signed up for. And you know, when I asked him about this at the Big Ten Media Day, he said, I understand. I understand. That is the job. That is how you're evaluated. I accepted that. So for the guys that continue to tell me that Ryan Day was born on third base, I would also point to Jim Harbaugh, who probably stole second and third, depending on how you feel about the signs. I could not be more impressed with how he has carried this. Because there are times for which my brain would combust, and I, I probably would lose my temper in private about the way that my career has been talked about and winning football games. Again, Ohio State operates unlike anybody else, and that's what you sign up for when you take that job. The loser of this game, as I said, could absolutely make the playoff, but it's going to be tough to do that again if you get blown out. It's going to be a really exciting game. I can't wait to do it. Once again, live tailgate on the Twitters. On the YouTube, I'll be hosting alongside Beanie Wells and Chris Howard, who are going to tell us some fantastic stories, give us some in-game analysis, and we're going to have some really cool tricks 
and tips to give you as we end up talking about this game for the better part of, well, four hours. Really love doing this stuff. Let's talk about another very important rivalry game, not just to those that are in it, but to us as college football playoff rankings fans. Number 16, Oregon State at number six, Oregon. That is also on Fox Friday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Oregon shows up as a 13 and a half point favorite and the over-under is, or excuse me, the total is 61 and a half. Put it plainly, Oregon, you need to dunk Oregon State. You need to dunk Oregon State like you dunk Colorado. You need to dunk Oregon State like you dunk Portland State. All right? Like, it's it's like that. Because, yes, Oregon can clinch a spot in the Pac-12 championship with a win against Oregon State or an Arizona loss against Arizona State. Arizona, good football team. However... That does not guarantee you a spot in the college football playoff. That is why you're number six. And I dare say you would have to stomp out Washington in the Pac-12 championship to get into the college football playoff. Now, I also need to add in here, the reason that I'm saying that Oregon State needs to dunk Oregon State is because you don't have a top 25 win anymore. The college football playoff selection committee took that from you when they dropped Utah, which means you haven't played one top 25 scoring defense, and you haven't beaten a top 10 team. So Texas beat a top 10 team, has played top 25 scoring defense, and Alabama, who's also a one-loss team, is 3-1 and one against ranked opponents heading into this weekend. Everybody that they played has remained in this thing, and we genuinely believe that their schedule is tougher than yours. Now, that said, you're scarily efficient, right? So you're doing what I asked Michigan to do, right? When I had them at number one, you're stomping out teams you should be stomping out. You're averaging 46 and a half points per game. You're putting up 546.6 yards per game. And Bo Nix is throwing for 350 a game. It's also a game for which Will Stein and Dan Lanning need to absolutely put this on Bo Nix's hands and feet. Why? Because you're also not just playing for a spot in the college football playoff or even Pac-12 championship, but he's playing for the Heisman. Right. Because if that dude dunks Oregon State and then avenges the loss to Washington with an outstanding performance, it's going to be really difficult to keep him from winning the Heisman Trophy. And the reason I say that is Bo Nix still has a lot of fans in the South because that's where he started his college football career, as does Dan Lanning. And there are lots of Heisman voters in that region. As a matter of fact, it is the largest region for Heisman voters. And I think that they would love to be able to cast a vote meaningfully for Bo Nix at Oregon. And they've been throwing money behind this. Like one of the things that came up in the group chat, but also in our show meetings is how Oregon has been throwing Bo Nix banners everywhere they can go. From Atlanta, where you get bodacious. New York, where you get bodacious. Dallas, where you get bodacious. And they've been doing this since the summer, right? They feel like they got a Heisman contender. Now, some of this, I think, is just Oregon's better at marketing than most others, frankly. I mean, the uniforms is one thing. Phil Knight is another, but Joey Harrington ended up on the cover of NCAA. And kiddos, if you don't know who Joey Harrington is, that's my point. That's exactly my point. Somehow, they got that man enough pub to make him a Heisman finalist and get what I think is an even cooler award, the cover of NCAA. So if anybody's capable of pulling one out from the West, absolutely Bo Nix. And he also gets to say, is this not the conference of quarterbacks? Did you guys... RJ included, come in telling us that the Pac-12 is the deepest quarterback conference in all of football. Did we not have the Heisman finalists right here 
Last year, the Heisman winner right here last year, am I not the best quarterback in the Pac-12? He's got an argument here. Now, on the other hand, you got an Oregon State team that is scrappy. You got an Oregon State team that also handed Oregon an L when we all did not expect Oregon State to do just that. Last year, 38-34. Differences, this game is in Austin. That game was in Corvallis. Oregon State is tough in Corvallis. It's one of the reasons why I think Washington's moving up made, was even easier for the committee. Is you go into Corvallis and you become the first team, the only team, to beat them at their home when you know that that's one of the 15 best teams in the country. Yeah, all right. You got it. And it also strengthens your case if you're Oregon, right? Because if you are able to beat down an Oregon State that Washington couldn't even score on in the second half, yeah, again, you got a really great resume or argument, not resume, but argument for being in the college football playoff but landscape, right? Stay on the horse, okay? Still got to unhorse you for you to lose. Stay on the horse. Go get your win. And let's see what Bo Nix, what Bucky Irving, what Troy Franklin, what Dan Lanning can cook up against an Oregon State team that I think is absolutely going to be up for this and could backdoor into a New Year's Six Bowl if they are able to pull the upset once again. Pac-12 championship implications for this. I kind of got into it. Oregon needs to win. Arizona can still clinch a spot, but they need an Oregon loss, and they need to beat Arizona State. So there's still some moving and shaking on that side, but the winner, uh, excuse me, Arizona State or Oregon will play, excuse me, Arizona or Oregon will play Washington. I get my states and my Oregons confused, as you very well know sometimes, but I'm excited, guys. I, I just, it's sometimes I sit back here and slow down because I'm just ready for Saturday. And I'm really ready for Friday. Texas Christian at Oklahoma. Yeah, I ate bright and early Friday, noon Eastern, on Big Fox. Your boy, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be watching it because this is a chance to get to 10 wins against the Texas Christian team that announced itself over your dead body to the national title game last year. I don't think anybody thought the Texas Christian was that good till they put screws to the Oklahoma Sooners. And now you got an Oklahoma team that has a chance to back into the Big 12 title game after losing two games to conference rivals. Like, we don't see this as often as we thought we would with the round-robin schedule, but that's the reason why I thought the round-robin schedule was such a good idea is we have four teams that could legitimately play in the Big 12 championship next Saturday, still in play in the final week of the season, Oklahoma being one of them. Oklahoma can get into the Big 12 championship with a loss to Texas Christian. It's just going to be really damn hard for them to do that. But if you can go get that win against Texas Christian, if nothing else, you do yourself a service and can move into the top 10, maybe, right, in next week's rankings, regardless of what the Big 12 championship looks like, and that gets you a better bowl. But more importantly for Oklahoma, it's getting to 10 wins. And I've come to think of 10 wins as the standard at Oklahoma. You get 10 or you don't get 10. But that six to seven thing, that's an aberration. We don't, we don't, we don't do that. Like, no, no. 10 wins or more, right? And then you go and you beat up on Oregon in the Alamo Bowl just to kind of let everybody know what's really good. But all that to say, you still have everything to play for. Getting Dylan Gabriel back healthy is going to be a big deal. You remember he had to miss the second half of the game on the road to Brigham Young. Jackson Arnold came in and played well enough for Oklahoma to win a tight one. Didn't think it was going to be that tight against a 5-5 five and five BYU team, but Provo is tough, and they absolutely showed up. I expect the same to be true for Oklahoma. Oklahoma fans are going to show up against Texas Christian. You're going to get what you need. Go take care of business, and then you have to wait and see because Texas Tech at Texas is also the next game on that Friday that we got to pay attention to. Texas 12.5-point favorite, but uh, again, 
it's a team they lost to. Like the same way that Oklahoma lost to Texas Christian. It's not just that Texas lost to Texas Tech. It's that Texas Tech did something nobody had done. They made B. John Robinson put the ball on the floor. That don't happen. And then Joey McGuire had a legendary post game where he told his players, look, I told you Texas would break, and they did. Reporter asked me, what does it mean to beat Texas? He said, it doesn't mean anything to beat Texas. Being 1-0 in the Big 12 is a bigger story to him. And then he said, the Big 12 is going to learn all roads run through Lubbock. Hey, dog, has it gone the way that Texas Tech wants it to go? No. Have they been playing musical chairs at quarterback again? Yes. I mean, Tyler Shuck just went into the transfer portal. But Texas Tech is plenty capable of knocking off a Texas team that doesn't know how to finish in the red zone. I mean, it's it's like it's getting scary because is that the kind of team you want in the college football playoff? One that can't finish? You got Quinn Ewers back. You need to be putting people away. You need to be running up the score. But they lost to Jonathan Brooks, which, okay, we'll allow. But C.J. Baxter's still back there. Keelan Robinson's still back there. Jade Blue's still back there. Savion Red's still back there. Like, you got dudes. Xavier Worthy's still out on the edge. Adonai Mitchell's still running in the middle. Jade Tavion Sanders right there. And you got low-key what I think is a scary defense, like a defense that could absolutely put the clamps on somebody if they need to. And it's senior night. I mean, you need to absolutely stomp out the Red Raiders first for last year because it's one thing for somebody to beat you. It's another thing for them to say you ain't nobody when you are the University of Texas, the Senate flagship of the national state of Texas. That's a Texas thing. Like you always meet people from Texas who lead by saying they're from Texas. Imagine what it's like for you to be from Texas, go to Texas, then have to say that you lost to these dudes from Mars because that's where Lubbock is. You know, you got the lippy Lilliputians from Lubbock telling you what's really good. I want to see if Texas got some get back, okay? If there's ever a moment for you to throw up 60, this would be the night because that also not only secures your spot in the Big 12 championship, but also gives us more reason to think about you as a potential fourth in the college football playoff. You're also looking at Ataj Brooks in Texas Tech that's going to give Pete Krakowski's defense an absolute time. Like, he's one of the better tailbacks, not just in the Big 12, but in the entire country. Like, that dude might end up being second, third team All-American. He's got over 1,300 yards on the ground. He's got nine TDs. His last three game totals are 146, 133, and 182 on the ground, each game with a TD. He's absolutely getting after it. And if you're going to tell me that you broke Texas like a handful of kindling, you probably need to put the ball in that dude's stomach to make sure that you're right. They're also good enough on defense to give you a hard time. But once again, uh, Texas, you got to take care of business. Quinn Ewers has to get on it, and Steve Sarkeesian has to draft up one of them really nice gadget plays he likes to run out there with all that movement and window dressing inside the 25-yard line so y'all can go get six because it's getting embarrassing for Texas fans to know y'all get inside the red zone and can't score TDs. That needs to change against the Red River, uh, excuse me, the Red Raiders. Now, we also get into just a brief refresh on Big 12 title scenarios, but landscape is Oklahoma State, that's the game to watch. They play on Saturday against Brigham Young. If they win, they get into the Big 12 title game, and a lot of the other scenarios just go by the wayside, right? Oklahoma State has the all-important tiebreaker over Oklahoma. The only way that that doesn't get to be a thing is if they lose the game to Brigham Young. Now, Brigham Young gave Oklahoma everything it wanted and then something. And if Billy Bowman does not come up with a 100-yard pick six 
to not only make basically the difference in the game, but to change the momentum and really the view of that game. We're talking about Brigham Young upsetting Oklahoma, and this just not being for not. So you better go in knowing that Kalani Sataki's boys absolutely can give you the what for and the come now, right? So again, Oklahoma State, win. But to win, feed Ollie Gordon the Rock. Now, I know a lot of folks are going to look up and see Tulsa's own Brennan Presley had 189 yards last year or last week receiving and, and not for nothing, but Tulsa boys absolutely smacked. And then you're going to look and see Alan Bowman. He of Texas Tech, he of Michigan went for 348. But the dude that makes them go is Ollie Gordon. And the game where they got beat down by Central Florida 45 to three, they didn't hand that ball to ball. You got to give that man the ball. You need to give 1400 yards on the ground, the ball, give him the ball 30 times, turn him into Chuba Hubbard, turn him into Bless God, Barry Sanders. Just feed him and watch how the rest of the game open up for Alan Bowman, for Brendan Presley. They're going to get opportunities. And if you can just keep a lid on the defense against this BYU offense, which is capable, you got a shot to just go get that win and absolutely get it in against Texas. Maybe win a Big 12 title the hard way. That's the one that I want you to focus on, right? So Oklahoma State versus BYU. And then we'll talk about what that might be Saturday on the live show from L.A. following the games in the 3.30 Eastern time zone window. It's about 6 o'clock Central time if you are inclined to show up right on time for when we start our Saturday live show recap. All right, let's get to the ACC, which is set, right? We got Florida State versus Louisville in the ACC title game. But while Louisville would like us to talk about them as a potential college football playoff team, I'm sorry, no. That's not going to happen right here on this show. But Florida State, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, absolutely. Florida State probably needs to beat Florida more than it needs to beat Louisville. Like, you could probably get one over on Louisville, and we would be okay with that because we all rep- we all think Louisville is a good to decent team. But Florida carries a lot of weight. And the reason they carry a lot of weight is because of what they did last week against Missouri, where for whatever reason, Missouri did what I said I would do, which is, hey, where's Luther Burden? our best player, and just said, throw it up. And then Florida was like, yeah, we'll let him catch it. And then we're going to let a kicker chomp on us. Yikes. Then we got a Florida team that beat up on a Tennessee team that I really thought was going to be good at the Swamp, and that's where this game is being played. So Florida, who, again, I don't think is that good by its record, I think it's on par with Louisville. And I think we're inclined to give Florida just a little bit more of an edge if we're talking about Louisville versus versus Florida. Now, they would say, hey, RJ, didn't we beat Notre Dame? Again, I would talk about Florida perhaps being even favored in that game. So you need to take Tate Roadmaker and Trey Benson and Keon Coleman and go do the damn thing, right? You need to absolutely run this one up, Mike Norvell, and leave no doubt because you know I don't think much of your schedule. And I don't think much of the ACC. I think it's watered down. I think it's a year in which you caught a Clemson team that doesn't figure out its identity until Tyler from Spartanburg absolutely got into Dabo Sweeney about how much money he makes and compared him to Terry Bowden. And then all of a sudden, we got to see the Clemson that we know about. (laughs) I love this so much. When everybody, somebody says, hey, we don't need coaches calling shows anymore. I'm like, you must be crazy. You must be crazy. That's some of the purest sports talk radio that is still in existence today. Keep the coach's call-in show forever because absolutely represents wins and losses for places like Clemson, okay? Meanwhile, 
You got a Florida State program that really does think it should be operating in SEC levels, talking about breaking away from the ACC, but has been feeling itself here of late. I don't think they're that good, but you can prove me wrong. And one of the ways you can prove me wrong is going to beat up on Florida worse than Florida could beat up on Tennessee. Beat up on Florida worse than Missouri, who this committee values, could do at home. I think there's everything for them to play there. I think that the Jordan Travis injuries, yeah, it impacts you. I mean, it's not just that he's the starter for a reason. It was very clear that those players and that coaching staff trusted, believed, and loved that man. And it was very clear that Knowles fans trust, believe, and love that man too. And I'll be the first to tell you, it wasn't always going smooth for Jordan Travis out there. Matter of fact, we were talking about t- maybe Tate Roymoker needs to be the dude, okay? Everybody's looking at Mackenzie Milton going, why isn't this dude the guy? Why are we seeing so much Jordan Travis out here? Mike Norvell saw something, and it has come to pass, right? Again, Jordan Travis is in the spot that I think Blake Quorum was, was in last year, which is to say you win your rivalry game, you play big in it, you win your ACC title game, you play big in it, you probably win the Heisman Trophy, right? If there's some other things go that way. However, I still think there's one guy that could upset the apple cart for not just the college football playoff, but also for the Heisman Trophy, and that guy is going to be playing – in the Iron Bowl, number eight, Alabama at Auburn. Always must see TV, right? We're going to see some outstanding plays. We're going to see a kick six. We're going to see Gus Malzahn somehow getting one over on Nick Saban, not once, but twice. And we're also going to get to see Jalen Milrow going up against this Auburn defense and what I think is a very important game for him. I think he edged himself into the Heisman conversation because he had an outstanding game against LSU, which everybody watched, and Jaden Daniels on the other side, and they went blow for blow. So if you think Jaden Daniels is good, you probably think that Jalen Milrow has become good, right? Jaden had been playing football for the better part of four years, right? Jalen just started this year, and he has been growing and developing with each passing game. It's been so much fun to watch that guy play, especially when I got a tip of cap to Tommy Reese here, when you got an offensive coordinator that says, what do you do well? Oh, you throw the deep ball, and you can run away from anybody. Cool. Let's build to that. And once they did, my goodness, we're talking about performances that we've never seen from an Alabama quarterback before. Like, he broke the rushing TD in a game record for an Alabama quarterback that has seen both Tua and Jalen Hurts in the past seven years. Okay? They got a guy out there, and if he can carry them past Auburn in a big way, and then do the impossible, according to Georgia fans, and beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. Good luck not handing that dude the Heisman Trophy. As I said, many of Heisman voters live in the South. It is the largest voting region for the Heisman Trophy. And I dare say, yeah, they would root for, they would vote for the Alabama quarterback over the Oregon quarterback who used to play at Auburn. Now, You'll notice I hadn't been doing a whole lot of talking about what Auburn's going to do or what Auburn might do is because I don't think there's much. Like, when you give up the booty, $1.85 million worth of the booty to New Mexico State at home by three touchdowns, ain't nobody in their right mind going to pick you to beat Alabama. Ain't nobody in their right mind. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Only Auburn fans are going to pick Auburn to beat Alabama, and they're doing it with their with their hands over their eyes, okay? This could get nasty if you are an Auburn fan because Alabama has no reason not to dunk on you. They need the style points too. They need to somehow convince us 
that they deserve to be ranked ahead of Texas, okay? And they might not have an opportunity to do that after the SEC championship game because it might not go their way. So they need to absolutely beat up on an Auburn team we expect them to beat up on. But again, I just got to I gotta remind you guys, New Mexico State beat Auburn. Now, Auburn ran Brian Harson out there on a rail. But the one thing he ain't do was lose to New Mexico State, okay? Now, if you can come after a, a loss to New Mexico State and upset Alabama, more power to you. But now I got to talk about Liberty perhaps being a New Year's Six Bowl team because New Mexico State, 9-3, and three, is going to play Liberty in the Conference USA Championship, and New Mexico State beat a blessed God SEC West team on the road. Auburn, you did that. You're responsible. We are sending you the bill, and you might have to pay with the booty on Saturday in the Iron Bowl. I'm excited about that because, you know, it, it could get wacky and it could be blown out, but I'm going to watch it because, hey, I'm here for it. This week is always my favorite week of the year for college football. I mean, I got my favorite game in October, right, Texas, Oklahoma. But this week, Ohio State, Michigan, we get, oh, my goodness, the Iron Bowl. We got, we got BYU in a game that matters once again. And I get to see my Oklahoma Sooners play on a Friday, which never, ever happens. And we will be live right here on the number one college football show to talk about it on Saturday evening following the afternoon slate of games. Again, be sure to join us on Twitters, on the YouTubes for the live tailgate as we discuss the game, Michigan at or excuse me, Michigan versus Ohio State. Beanie Wells, Ohio State running back, actually played in this game when both teams were 11-0 in 2006. And Chris Howard, outstanding tailback, early, late 1990s. And, well, he's got one Tom Brady story that I think you just simply must hear. All right, that is going to do it for tonight's episode of the number one college football show. Our number one college football show leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistants Kiara Santana and Kyla Morris put the special in our special teams. Social producer Javion Duncan makes sure the recruits and the rivals See the cake we bake. Check out his money in the bag. TikTok on the number one college football show account. It's really cool. Alex Hobbs is sending in the signal. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls the players from the sideline and the play snaps on my clap. We will see y'all live Saturday night. Until then, stay low. Keep those feet driving. Deuces.